Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast. Week six is in our rearview mirror, and we are looking forward to week seven. And to get ready for week seven and many things beyond, we are going to be joined today by a man who has been celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl championship, as well as the fact that he is being inducted this week, Saturday, into the Asian Sports Hall of Fame. The great former Seattle Seahawks wide receiver, Doug Baldwin, a former undrafted free agent out of Stanford, who went on to play eight seasons with the Seahawks, winning a Super Bowl, earning two Pro Bowl selections, while totaling 551 catches for almost 7,300 yards and 55 touchdowns during his incredible career. And of course, before we get to Doug Baldwin, we're going to start with my friend and colleague, Dangled Up and the Weekly Six-Pack. All right, Adam Schefter, let's talk about some week six football, my friend. Unfortunately, though, I want to start with injuries, which is sort of a bummer. But, Adam, it feels like all of us just want to go and we want to ask the NFL, can you just turn the injury setting off for once? We've seen so many guys getting hurt last week, especially. CMC added to that list. What stands out to you about this week's set of injuries? Well, I'll tell you what, Daniel. It's amazing because I've had people ask me the first few weeks, are there more injuries than usual? And I don't think there are, or at least I didn't. But now I'm beginning to wonder. Now we usually get into the middle of the season, week six, and the injuries start dropping. And instead, not only are they not dropping, but they might be increasing. We can't prove this conclusively with data without looking, although I could probably go get that data, and maybe I will. But there are some big names, and there are a lot of quarterbacks. As we record this first thing Tuesday morning, we don't know whether Trevor Lawrence will play on Thursday night against the Saints. And he's a very tough guy, and he usually always plays, but he's got a knee sprain. You know what a knee sprain is? A knee sprain is a torn ligament. That's what it is. It may not be an overly significant torn ligament, but they're asking Trevor Lawrence to go try to play on a short week on a torn ligament. We'll see if he can do that on that knee sprain, right? We've got Ryan Tannehill, who doesn't need surgery, as Jeff Darlington reported, but right now is in a cast, and he is diagnosed with a high ankle sprain, so you wonder when he'll be able to get back, considering that he had surgery on that same ankle before. Justin Fields has a dislocated thumb, can't grip the football, no strength in that hand. That's a problem for him. Jimmy Garoppolo, tenuous at best for this upcoming week against the Chicago Bears. There's another quarterback injury. So all of a sudden you got quarterbacks, not to mention the fact that Anthony Richardson, in the words of the Colts owner Jim Irsay, probably isn't going to play again this year. And isn't it fascinating that we talked all about Bryce Young's durability coming out of the draft process, and yet the biggest, toughest, strongest quarterback in the draft class is the one who didn't finish four of the first five games he played and now is probably done for the year due to injury. So how is that for some injuries going on? And we just hope, as you said, Daniel, that it quiets down, it dies down, and at the end of it turns down the injury meter. Please. Adam, it's ridiculous when I look at this list. And I, you know that I'm a fantasy football guy here. I know we're not a fantasy football show. But when you look at these injuries, guys that have missed multiple games or on IR so far, CMC, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Travis Kelsey. Like, like 
These guys are the superstars of the superstars. So the fact that these guys have been hit by the injury bug so much this year, it's just a bummer. Hopefully we can get these guys healthy and back out on the field. I want to talk to you, though, about the next thing, Adam. The Browns defense looked stellar this week against the San Francisco 49ers. What stood out to you and what was the big thing that allowed the Browns to be able to beat this San Francisco team? Listen, the Browns defense is loaded with talent and there's some great players. And Miles Garrett is unbelievable. I think he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame. Not the Hall of Good, but the Hall of Fame. (laughs) But the one move that any team made this offseason for all the moves that every team made this offseason, I don't know that there was a more impactful hiring than the Browns defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz. Now, there are people out there who believe that Jim Schwartz should have gotten another head coaching job, which he didn't get. Who knows why? But the Browns recognized that the defense needed help. They brought in an ultra-aggressive defensive coordinator, and Jim Schwartz has transformed the Browns into one of the top defenses in the league, if not the best defense in the league, led by a Hall of Fame defensive end in Miles Garrett. And as long as they can play like that and get Deshaun Watson back, who knows when that'll happen, maybe this week, maybe not, then they're going to have a chance to be a playoff contender. And people in Cleveland would love to see that, but it starts there with the Browns defense. And can you imagine if they still had Nick Chubb running the football with that defense? Woo. That's what I was just thinking. I mean, imagine if, if Nick Chubb was still there and if Deshaun Watson looked more like the guy that we saw in Houston rather than the guy that we've seen so far in Cleveland. Because with that defense, this team would be stellar and lights out. Oh, my gosh. All right. Speaking of them, though, they went out and took down the San Francisco 49ers, one of two remaining undefeated teams. In fact, both of them lost this week, Adam, the 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now we've got five, five and one teams left. How do you feel about there being no more undefeated teams through the first six weeks? Well, Daniel, let me just say this. I always love the drama of an unbeaten team going deep into the season. I covered the 1998 Broncos when they were, I believe, 13-0 and going into the Meadowlands to play the New York Giants who lost their starting quarterback and had to start Kent Graham and Kent Graham beat them. And there were celebrations in Miami with the 1972 Dolphins. And so you always think of the 72 Dolphins. And so right after the Eagles lost to the Jets on Sunday, I tweeted out about the 1972 Dolphins (laughs) popping champagne because it's an automatic thing. The 72 Dolphins record is safe. And people think of them as these grumpy old men who, no, it's just fun. Every team takes a run at the 72 Dolphins every year. And nobody's been able to do it just yet. The 2007, I believe, New England Patriots came close to doing it before losing to the Giants in the Super Bowl. But every team starts out with perfection. I can tell you this. There were teams this summer, NFL teams, that were talking about having a perfect season. Everybody wants a perfect season. And so when these teams go out, it feels to me, it's a little bit like losing your survivor pick. Ah, I'm done. Not this year. On to next year. Same with NFL teams. Ah, they're done. Can't catch the Dolphins on to next year. By the way, my survivor pick is still alive, but the unbeaten teams are not. Adam, do you feel like coaches like would want to be able to lose a game? Like, I don't want to say this thing where it's like, obviously no one wants to ever lose a game, but is there a thing where you feel like coaches or teams have that hanging over their head deep into the season, even though it's really fun for us, like you talked about, right? As fans or as the media, it's like, we get to talk about this narrative and the story that's really exciting. 
But do teams carry just extra pressure because of that? Is getting a loss here, like, let's just get it out of the way and then we don't have to worry about it. Well, I'll I'll say this. When when you play with an unbeaten record, the later it goes in the season, the more the pressure builds. Absolutely. And as somebody in the Niners organization said to me on Monday, they said, you know what? This is good. It kind of brings us down to earth a little bit. It reminds us that there's a lot of work to do. Get a kick in the ass, basically. And everybody usually responds. Look what the Dallas Cowboys did. They got abused and beaten on Sunday night in San Francisco. Come back and win a big Monday night road game in Los Angeles against the Chargers. All right, moving on to topic number four here, Adam. Should we be concerned about these Eagles now that they've got their first loss? Their upcoming schedule looks brutal. It might be one of the toughest schedules coming up here in the NFL. Is there reason for concern here for this Philly team? Well, that's the whole thing that I find fascinating here, right? Like, this is a team that just lost its first game of the season, and they're rolling along, and look, they are arguably the best team in the NFC, although San Francisco certainly could make an on, uh, an argument. And, by the way, Detroit could too. Detroit is, your Lions, Daniel, Thank are you. really impressive. I mean, every time I watch them, I say to myself, this is a team that can contend and be better. And here's what you have going for you, right? The Eagles lost their first game. But if we look ahead, if we look ahead, here's the Eagles' record. Or here's the Eagles' schedule. This Sunday, they play the Dolphins. Okay? Mm. Next Sunday, at Washington, which, not a simple game for the Eagles. Home for the Dallas Cowboys, at Kansas City. Home for Buffalo, at against the 49ers on December 3rd. And then at Dallas. So that's Miami, Washington, Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas. Holy smokes. That is a big-time tough schedule. And even if they play really good, seven games, like if they went five and two, that would be really good there, right? Really good. I mean, they could go six and one, but five and two would be really outstanding. And so this Eagles team is going to have to fight with the 49ers and Lions to get home field advantage. And they may just have to win on the road. And you know what? Again, I won't be surprised if the Eagles, as we record this, try to make another move or two here, just the way that they are constructed and built. We'll see if they do anything else to kind of help put that roster. And uh, we'll go from there. Man, I'll tell you what. That's the only thing I'd be concerned about right now. The Eagles look fantastic. Any team led by Jalen Hurts and the way that that offensive line moves the football, I'm a fan of. But that schedule is definitely a gauntlet. Let's talk topic number five. Speaking of schedules, Adam Schefter, have you seen the week 10 NFL schedule for the bye weeks? Oh my gosh. I was really excited about being able to look at this when you said, have you seen week 10? And then I looked at who's on bye: Kansas City Chiefs, Miami Dolphins, Philadelphia Eagles, and the Los Angeles Rams. That is a huge bye week full of some major names, Adam Schefter. Well, it's unbelievable. When you take the Chiefs, Rams, Dolphins, and Eagles out of the mix, you're left with some primetime matchups that are not necessarily primetime. And I don't mean to look ahead, but think about this, Daniel. In week 10, we opened that week with Carolina, the lone winless team in the NFL at Chicago. I'm sure Al Michaels is going to be really excited about doing Carolina at Chicago (laughs) on Thursday, November 9th. That game Al's counting down to right now. And then Sunday night, we have the Jets at the Raiders. I mean, oh my gosh. that was a great AFL matchup. I don't know that it's a great NFL <laughs> matchup, although both teams did just win this weekend, and both teams are making a run. Fair, so that's encouraging. Yeah. And then the Monday night matchup that week is Denver at Buffalo, which 
Oh. But Denver's not a primetime team right now. So that's where we're at. And what's interesting about the schedule as we look at that's week 10. Week 12, okay? It's also the first week that Monday night football games are eligible to be flexed. And the Monday night matchup that week in the first week that ESPN is eligible to flex out of it is Chicago at Minnesota. ESPN may get its first flex in its first Monday night flex position. Like, wow. And as we look at the games that week, I already have a suggestion for you for that week. Ready? Give it to me. Yep. Jacksonville at Houston. Wouldn't you rather see the Texans on Monday Night Football this year behind D'Amico Ryans and everything that Houston's doing this year? Houston's resurgence, C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryan. Give me the Texans on Monday night, November 27th, instead of the Bears at the Vikings. We'll see how that one works out. I'd love to watch that, especially with the way that C.J. Stroud has been playing. That kid has looked unbelievable at the quarterback position. And item number six, Adam, I want to talk about this Sunday night football game. I think something caught my eye here. I want to ask you about it. When I was watching those introductions, which sometimes are very fun when they talk about where they came from, I saw Giants offensive lineman Justin Pugh said, off the couch or from the couch? What was that? Like, what was the most impressive thing about seeing Justin Pugh out there on Sunday night? Well, well I, I want to say he, it was his introduction, and he said Justin Pugh, when they usually say they're college, he goes, Justin yeah. Pugh, straight off the couch. Now, a few <laughs> things about this, okay? It was one of the great introductions that we've ever heard on Sunday Night Football, and it was true because the guy spent the last year recovering from a torn ACL. He was signed to the Giants practice squad about 10 days ago. No they way. worked him at left guard. He thought he would play about 25 snaps on Sunday night. And lo and behold, the Giants' backup left tackle, who was replacing Andrew Thomas, went down with an injury. And right. so they moved Justin Pugh off his ACL surgery, out of left guard, off the couch, straight off the couch, into the <laughs> starting left guard position. He winds up playing 77 snaps at left tackle against what? the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. He doesn't know the cadence from Tyrod Taylor, so he has to guess when to get out the line of scrimmage. And he actually goes out and holds his own against the Buffalo Bills. And then on Tuesday morning or Monday morning, launches his own T-shirt line called Straight Off the Couch. So you can get your own T-shirt that says Straight Off the Couch, modeled after Justin Pugh. And it was Obviously, a huge thing. You know, here's the thing. We see these guys step into situations. Sometimes you don't really grasp everything that they've overcome to get to where they are at that moment. And here's a veteran offensive lineman who one day was basically thrust from straight from the couch into the starting line, into a position he hadn't played or prepared, had barely played there during the course of his career, no less. And now he's got to go out and play the Buffalo Bills. It was just kind of a cool little way to end what was a very unusual Sunday where the two unbeaten teams lost. We saw some major injuries and it all came together with Justin Pugh coming straight off the couch. Adam, that's the way to do it. This is the way that we end the six pack right here. I love stories like this. Let's find these uplifting ones where it's really exciting to talk about, about a guy that's coming off of a situation like this. It's just so much fun to have these kind of stories within the NFL. And Daniel, you know what? Speaking of stories like that, we're now going to be joined by a guy who's going into the Asian Sports Hall of Fame on Saturday. One of the great undrafted wide receivers in NFL history. Forget about just with the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are celebrating the 10th anniversary of their lone Super Bowl championship this year. He's going to the Asian Sports Hall of Fame. And let me say this about this interview with Doug Baldwin. This is like a good book. 
It starts out and it gets better and better and better. <laughs> All right. And with that, we will bring on Doug Baldwin. I should start out by saying, is this the first Hall of Fame that you ever have been inducted into? Uh, I believe so, actually. That's a good question. Yeah, I think so. And what does it mean to you? Um, you know, when I, it's a hard question to answer because I think, um, there's several parts of this, um, you know, I think for the, for the most part of it, it's just like, it's, it's a representation of my grandmother, right? Uh, her Filipino heritage, her culture, um, uh, her courage and determination as a immigrant coming over to this country, right? Like, I think about her and the legacy that she has left uh, on my family, on me personally. Um, but then the Asian Hall of Fame in general, it's like, you know, it's a platform for recognition of all of the um, important work and contributions that the Asian community has provided, not only to this country, but to this world, right? And then also it's a representation of, uh, of representation, of uh, diversity and inclusion. And so, um, it's a number of things, but very honored, obviously, to be uh, inducted into this Hall of Fame. How much involvement and connection do you have to football right now? Do you go and visit the Seahawks facility? Do you watch? Are you a mentor to any of these young players at all? Or do you completely disconnect from it? Well, the first few months and probably the first year and a half, probably two years, I, I had to disconnect from it, right? Like, um, again, just the conditioning every year during the fall, uh, like during training camp, my body, even when I was, was not there, my body would react, right? Like my wife will tell you, I was more aggressive. I was more combative. I was more like, I just had more energy and I needed to find a, uh, uh, an outlet to direct that energy. Um, you know, eventually got to the point where I recognized that I was able to put language around it. So then I'm able to address it. Right. And then slowly but surely, I'm, I'm starting to come back around to it. Right. Uh, it's still really hard for me to watch football because I miss it. Right. And that that sense that comp the, the uh, competitiveness about it. Right. Um, my body. My, well, I should say this. My mind still thinks that I can go out there and do it. My body is, you know, <laughs> very determined to not do it anymore, um, despite what I try to tell it. But, uh, yeah, it took me some time to get back to it. But slowly coming around. I've stayed in touch with the guys. Um, I'm really close with a lot of the receivers on the team, right? Um, when I do go to the facility, you know, the, my time, I try to be as very effective and as efficient with my time because, you know, those guys are moving and shaking and, you know, I got a family I got to take care of. So uh, I do stay in touch with them. I was actually uh, texting with DK this morning, you know, we're going back and forth on like his goals for this year for him. Um, Cause yeah, obviously it's important for him to be a great football player right now. That's his career. And that's what he's got to focus on. But also I want more for him as a human being once he leaves the game. Right. I just told him, I was like, at one point, you're going to be the old head in the locker room. And the lessons that you're learning now are going to be invaluable for a young man that comes to that locker room at some point. So, you know, I'm just trying to impart the wisdom that was that was shared with me. Sidney Rice, Tavares Jackson, like those guys gave me some great wisdom when I was a young man. So I'm trying to pass that on to these young guys, too. What about Tyler Lockett? Man, Tyler is <laughs> Tyler is <sighs> Tyler is an anomaly. He's uh he's Tyler Lockett. You know, he's his own man. I Tyler is 
you know, as young as he comes off, right, and he appears in a lot of his and the conversations that you have with him and you see him in, in interviews and on TV, he's a very wise man. For yes, he is. Young age, you know. Yes, he is. And and he'll tell you the same thing. It's because of the family that he's had around him, right? He's had a a very tremendous upbringing, very thoughtful upbringing. And, uh, you know, he doesn't need much guidance. Every once in a while, you know, he'll he's still a young man, still trying to figure it out. So every once in a while, you know, but for the most part, Tyler's, a, you know, he's got most of it figured out. I like both those guys an awful lot, DK and Tyler. I've had interactions with both, been fortunate enough to interact with both quite a bit and have strong feelings for both those guys. What about Pete Carroll? He's 72 years old, still going strong. I was in Seattle last summer for a day, and we were fortunate enough to spend the morning. They invited us into the team meetings, watched everything. I was blown away, Doug, at the energy in the building. I was tired when I left in the middle of the day, and – I'm going to guess it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It's like that every single day there, right? Yeah. I remember when I left, I told Pete, I was like, look, you know, at some point you got to tell me the secret, what you got going on over here. Cause that is genuinely him every day. That energy that you saw when you were, when you were up here, uh, he, he has that energy every day in every moment, every it's, it's unbelievable. It's, uh, but it's also a testament to like his true love and, and passion for the game, right? He genuinely, genuinely loves football, right? Like, I mean, if you told him right now that he could strap up and play, he, he would do it, <laughs> you know, knowing that he would get his body torn up, he would do it. Um, he's just, that's just who he is. You know, he's, he's exactly where he's supposed to be. And uh, the fortunate thing for me is that I had a great relationship with him when I was there, you know, still do. We still text every once in a while, have great conversations. And, you know, when the, I think the height of our relationship was really getting to the point where, um, you know, I was telling him, like, you know, a lot of these guys, they come from situations where there are not a lot of positive role models in their lives, in their lives. And you're their coach, right? They're going to look to you for a number of different things. Um, and I hope you don't take that for granted, you know? And when I said that to him, like, Obviously, he already knew that, but I think for a player to say that to him, right, in the midst of, you know, us in our relationship, like, it meant a lot to him. And to see that it meant a lot to him, it meant a lot to me, you know. Uh, And so I give a lot of love and a lot of credit to Pete Carroll. He's a special human being, that's for sure. And what did he impart to the players that he's been around for so long, in your mind? To be your authentic self. Right. I think that's a lot of the culture that he's developed and built and and provided the framework for the players to come in and genuinely, authentically be themselves. Right. It's a safe space. I think I'm I'm pretty sure when you were here, he probably did the safe place joke. Right. Do you remember that? No, no. But I, I, I we walked into the meeting room and they had a DJ in the front. They had the basketball hoop. Everyone's playing basketball in the meeting room. They're right. playing songs that I actually put into my phone. I'm like, I love this song. It just makes me feel like I want to go hit somebody and dance and just be active. It was, like I said, it was unlike anything I've experienced. Yeah. And I felt alive in that yeah. room. Well, there, there's this one joke that he does, and it's called safe. It's called safe place. He probably didn't do it with you because it's, you know, it's it's more meant for the players, right? Okay. <laughs> um, but 
it's essentially uh, his nod to creating a safe environment for folks just to genuinely be themselves, right? And I think that's that's what makes the culture um, there special. And and Pete is a huge part of that. You know, uh, he built the framework for that. So um, it's really important for guys to know that they can be in a safe place, just be themselves. And Pete's built that. I see you wearing a Stanford shirt. You came out of Stanford with Richard Sherman. Yep. Same time, right? Same draft class, even though you were an undrafted free agent. Yeah. Yep. Did they discover you while scouting Richard or vice versa? Or what is the situation and story behind that, Doug? You talking about Seattle? Yeah, Seattle. Yeah. Um, nah, you know, honestly, uh, John Snyder, he was on me from the very beginning. He sent me a letter. He sent me a handwritten letter, actually, at that, basically outlining um his whole thoughts on me and my game and how I could be impactful for the team. Um, and I think when Richard was drafted, cause I was during the lockout year. So, you know, it was, it was very hard to communicate yeah. uh, with, with you couldn't communicate. Right. So the yeah. communication happened like right when the lockout ended uh, it was, it was fast and furious. Uh, but Richard, when he was drafted, you know, during that draft process, I think they asked him questions about me during that time, right? And Richard being my brother, being my boy, uh, you know, he did the right thing <laughs> uh, and and talked me up. And so the rest is history. And very grateful for that opportunity to share that journey with Richard too, by the way. That was special. Well, th there can't be many people that come in, make a 53-man roster as an undrafted free agent and lead the team in receptions <laughs> and yards as a rookie, how does that happen, Doug? Uh, a lot of luck. <laughs> and talent and work and smarts and all those things. For sure. For sure. I, I would like to say that, you know, I was um, I was coached really well at Stanford. Our strength coach uh, at Stanford was phenomenal. My receivers coaches and my offensive coordinator at Stanford, they were phenomenal. Um, they gave me the blueprint of what it would take to be successful in the NFL, right? Aaron Moorhead, who's now the receivers coach over at uh, in Philadelphia right now, um, he was uh, instrumental in helping me figure things out. And so, yeah, I was very fortunate to have kind of the, you know, understand what the work ethic was going to entail, what I had to do. Um, but then, you know, to my point, there was some luck involved, right? When I got there, there was guys in front of me that were hurt, that got injured. And so I got an opportunity early on to, to start playing and uh, didn't look back. And what do you remember most? I mentioned the 10-year anniversary of the 2013 Super Bowl team. What mm -hmm. do you remember most about that team and the anniversary you'll be celebrating this year? Yeah, you know, we actually had the anniversary a couple of weeks ago. Um, all the guys were in Seattle. And, um, you know, I, there's – Obviously, winning the Super Bowl is probably the biggest memory of that year, right? There's other smaller moments, but I think more so than anything, what I remember about that team was just how close we were. You know, it, it uh, being back together again reminded me of that, just the camaraderie we had, the relationships we had. Uh, and it was, you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't just the offense. It was, you know, like I'm talking to Red Bryant and – and Brandon Meebane, you know, our defensive tackles and Clint McDonald and like just the love and appreciation that I have for those guys. Right. Tony McDaniel always was doing the dirty work on our defensive line. Um, and then obviously all the brand names, uh, the household names that, you know, but 
You know, there were so many personalities uh, and so many dedicated individuals to that team. And that's why we had the success that we did, right? As, and winning a Super Bowl and then going to another one, which we also should have won, by the way. Um, different story for another time. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, it's not, it hasn't been well documented. So what, what, what do we not know about it? <laughs> you know everything you need to know about it, Adam. Stop playing. <laughs> that was a wild, wild game. It was and by the way, you know what I remember about that? And I remember being at the Combine that year. Yeah. I remember Pete Carroll was the epitome of class and the way he handled it afterwards. Grace, class. Yeah. Like, there were so many ways that you could have gone with that. I know a lot of people who have been so angry and so heated that they wouldn't have been able to conduct themselves in a professional and memorable way. And he yeah. turned it into a lesson. Yeah. He was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, a, again, it's a testament to Pete and how he navigates the world. He takes, you know, there's no, that positivity that you see, that's genuine, right? And any negativity that comes his way, he doesn't look at it as negativity in that way. He looks at it as an opportunity to learn. And so he did that in that way. Now, don't get me wrong, right? There was some, <laughs> there were some bumps and bruises along the way to get <laughs> to that point. But um, no, nah, it, it, that's, that's Pete for sure. Does it rankle you to this day if we could get negative for a moment that you don't have a second Super Bowl ring? Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. There's there's a number of things in that game that um you know that kind of prickle me a little bit, but obviously not getting in the end zone, right? Like that's uh it's unfathomable because we were there at the one yard line. Everybody in everybody in that stadium, everybody at home watching the game. They knew we were going to hand the ball off to Marshawn and there was nothing that was going to stop him from getting the end zone. Right. And so uh, having the outcome that we did, uh, it's still shocking to some degree. It was definitely shocking in the moment. Um, but, you know, very grateful for those moments and those experiences. We'll be able to talk about that for a lifetime. Uh, you know, get to share that moment with my brothers and yeah, still upset. Should have two rings, but it's all good. What I got about Russell? Was that? I got three daughters now, so that trumps that. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that well, that does trump that. That's 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 the best being yeah, a girl dad. But before yeah. we get on to being a dad, I do yeah. want to ask you about Russell because Russell was the quarterback of that team yeah. and something of a polarizing guy. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the way it ended in Seattle and how he's transitioned in Denver? You know, this whole conversation was supposed to be about the Asian Hall of Fame, Adam. And now, Take it back to the Asian Hall of Fame anytime you want, Doug. No, uh, I will say this about Russ. Russ, uh, he came in as a young man determined to figure it out his way. And, uh, you know, got a lot of respect for that. There's a lot of things that he could have done. Um, and he chose the path that he that he chose. Now, is he a polarizing figure? Absolutely, right? Uh, I think that he's still figuring it out. And, uh, you know, I've, I've said my piece. I've, I've uh, you know, I think it's it's well documented now, especially going through this 10-year reunion, that there's, there's still some things to be uh, figured out uh, relationship-wise. But at the end of the day, we're all human beings, right? And we're going to figure it out because we're brothers. We were brothers on that field trying to go and, and accomplish a really hard goal, and we did. Uh, and I think at some point we'll all come back to the table and recognize that we all needed each other to get there. Um, and, you know, despite all the BS and everything else, 
you know, on the side, like uh, I'm very grateful for uh, Russ and for having the opportunity to be a receiver in that room with him on that offense with him. Right. We, that was a special group, Russ, myself, Jermaine, Ricardo, uh, Golden, Sydney, Marshawn, our offensive line, our tight end, Zach Miller, right? Like it, it was a special group. And so, uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from the totality of our offense because of what, you know, is going on now. Like that stuff will get figured out. It's just life right now. So we'll come back in a few years and it'll, it'll all be wrapped, wrapped in, a, in a pretty bow. Before we go back to the Asian Hall of Fame, and I didn't realize the whole thing was supposed to be about that, in all honesty. I would never want to violate any rules or go in a direction that I shouldn't be going, that I was not allowed to go. Yeah, I'm just messing with you. I, I do want to ask what people don't know about Marsha on Lynch. I, I don't know if there's anything that people don't know about Marshawn. I think what you see is what you get. You know, uh, Marshawn is one of the most authentic people I've ever met in my entire life. And he's also one of the kindest, most uh, generous and loving individuals I've ever met. He's a uh, he's a special person. And um, I've learned so much from him, not only uh, as you know, as a football player, as a businessman, as a philanthropist, but just as a human being. Uh, Marshawn is he's he's a special he's a special person in that regard. Got nothing but love for him. Um, but yeah, what you see is what you get. It's Marshawn. What did you learn from your grandmother? How much time you got? Uh, my grandmother, um, she is. Uh, she she's an inspiring woman. She, um, you know, she was an immigrant from the Philippines, from Dulad Leyte. Uh, in the Philippines. She married my grandfather. He was in the Air Force over at Clark Air Force Base. Um, they met, uh, got married, had three children, created a family and a life for themselves over here in the States. Um, and as her grandson, her first grandson, um, she just poured her love into me, right? And not just her love in the sense of like, you know, I don't want it to be just the woo-woo part of it, but like, you know, my grandmother had gone through a, a lots of struggles, lots of challenges in her lifetime, um, obviously being in the Philippines and then having to come over to, to the States where she didn't know English, didn't know any of the culture, didn't know how to navigate this world over here, uh, but created a life for her and my grandfather and, you know, obviously built a family. Um, all of those lessons, right? Not only kind of like the, you know, the tangible lessons, but also the emotional, spiritual, mental lessons that she taught me, uh, She's an incredible woman, and she continues to teach me this day. And will she be there on Saturday night when you get inducted into the Asian Hall of Fame? Yeah, unfortunately, my grandmother is up in age, and so it's very challenging for her to travel. Wow. Uh, yeah, so, you know, she she's aware of it. Uh, she has uh, congratulated me. She's, you know, um, she's also honored that I am speaking about her because truly this recognition is about her. Right. Uh, and her effort to uh, teach me all of the things uh, and to for me to be the man that I am today to even get this recognition. So very grateful for her. She knows that. Uh, so the next time I see her will uh, will not be at this event, unfortunately, but uh, she will be there in spirit. Doug, the man that you are today, what is yeah. the man that you are today doing? What What is Doug Baldwin doing to occupy himself with his Stanford degree, with his Seahawks resume, with the self-made man that you became in the NFL, what are you doing these days? 
still trying to figure it out, man. <laughs> still trying to figure it out. You know, I, I, uh, first and foremost, I am uh, a very blessed husband uh, and and fortunate father. I've got three amazing daughters that I'm trying wow. my best to. Girl know, dad. Girl dad. Yeah. Yeah. To the fullest, you know, taking all of those um, those lessons that my grandmother taught me and trying to share those with my daughters um, on a day to day basis. So first and foremost, that's the most important stuff. But, you know, my organization, we're growing. Uh, we're, we're very fortunate to be doing the work that we're doing. We're in the space of mental health and well-being right now, education and also food security. Um, lots of things going on. So but, you know, in totality, still trying to figure it all out. And we'll get to that in a moment. What is the organization that helps with food security and mental health? Yeah, so it's a, you know this about me by now, Adam. I, I like to do things my way. <laughs> um, and so our organization is called Vault 89. And basically, it's a social impact investment firm. Um, and I don't even really like calling it that because, you know, it's not a traditional social impact investment firm. Uh, we have a number of irons in the fire in a number of different sectors, a number of different industries. We really try to take uh, societal challenges and issues and try to apply empathy to finding really genuine and sincere solutions to those problems. And so uh, I'm a creative mind. I like working on teams, been on teams my entire life. Right. I, I've been exposed and been around to championship winning culture. Uh, and so I don't you know, I, I want to always be a part of that. Don't ever want to leave that. And so I get to do that by creating a team that we're, you know, that I'm working with, working on really, really hard, challenging problems and doing that on a day to day basis with true tenacity and true energy that I applied when I was playing football. So, yeah. Out of Seattle or out of Northern California? Where are you? No, we're in we're in Seattle still, uh, okay. but with with hopes and dreams of expanding here in the near future. And what is it like to make that transition from life in the NFL to now Vault 89 and some yeah. of the other time you spend with your three daughters and the Asian Hall of Fame and everything else that you got going on in your life now. How how would you describe that transition, Doug? It was challenging, man. Like, yeah. I mean, going from – I had been playing football since I was six years old, right? And then going from, you know, 80,000 fans screaming your name when you score a touchdown or you walk out on that field to – uh you know, three days after I retired, my my first daughter was born. So a screaming baby, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, football was my vehicle to be able to control my environment. It was my outlet in a lot of ways. And, you know, then having a child, like there's so much out of your control, right? When raising a baby. Um, and so uh, it was really, really challenging, really challenging for me emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Um, but I will say I'm very grateful to have gone through that journey, to have had all the support that I had around me, to be able to learn those lessons and to come out of that um, in a healthy way, right? Because now on this side of it, I'm able to reflect on that journey and all those experiences, take all of those lessons and then share that with my daughters, right? So they will have all of those experiences that they weren't around for, they will still be impacting their lives as they become young women and grow up in this world. So very fortunate for that, even though it was a very challenging time. It's a hard transition to make, isn't it? It is. It's very hard. And there's nothing that can prepare you for it, right? Like, I had friends that retired. Sidney Rice was a great leader in our locker room. He retired before before me. And so I spent time talking to him about it, um, you know, and there wasn't 
there wasn't a blueprint and there's not a blueprint for it. Uh, and, you know, I, I knew that the end was coming. And so I had kind of put things in place trying to prepare for this, but even, you know, as, as well thought out as I would like to have thought mm -hmm. I had planned this out um, and put systems in place, it still was a very challenging time. You don't know what you don't know until you actually go through it. <laughs> and what was the biggest thing that you learned as you went through it? Man, that I'm not just a football player. You know, there was so much of my identity that was wrapped around my performance on the football field that when I didn't have that that field to perform to then get the validation of whether what or what my value was in this world, right? That was really, really challenging. So having to unpack all of that, right? Um, and deconstruct the conditioning that had been in my brain for so long to then remind myself that I am just a human on this planet trying to survive and thrive like the rest of, of us, right? Um, coming back to that reality, that was uh, a, a challenging journey, but I'm grateful that I was able to get back to that reality because you and I both know a lot of folks, um, they struggle with that and don't get to that point. It's hard. I, I see a lot of people go through various phases of this, and I feel bad for players who are showered with attention, fame, fortune, and then all of a sudden you walk away and the cheering just stops, yeah. and everybody adapts to it differently. You, in my mind, in the limited amount that I know you, would seem to have so much going on and so much capabilities that I would think somebody like you would be able to figure out. That would not be as simple for some other people to do over time. Yeah, agreed. And I, I don't want to take the credit for this, right? Like my wife is incredible. My my family is incredible, right? I had my first daughter was born. So I had something that was more tangible to me right. that mattered more than my previous career, right? And so I had a lot of things going on for me that were positive. Uh, and so I'm very grateful for that support system, right? Like, man, I, I cannot speak enough about my wife and her support and compassion and grace, right? Her grace through this period. Um, very fortunate for that. Because again, I know a lot of folks don't have that. Let's go back to the Asian Hall of Fame. Yeah. You have a speech written out, Doug, or are you just going to wing it off the top of your head? No, nah, so unfortunately, I'm actually not going to be there in LA for this. Um, I'm actually, yeah, I know. Um, I'm actually traveling back to Florida to see my grandmother during that time. So I will not be there. Uh, however, uh, I did send in a video, with yes. my, you yeah. know, yeah. And just really just recognizing the, um, the appreciation and the gratitude that I have for this recognition, right. Again, pointing it back to my grandmother, uh, where truly, right. My, that roots, those roots come from, um, it's special for me. So I get to, and I don't take that for granted. I get to share that with my grandmother. So that's special. And I also would say that the Seahawks should be putting you, what do they call their ring of honor, ring of fame? What, what do they have? The ring of honor. Let me say right now, I was there the night that they put Matt Hassel back in, my friend, a great guy. You, you're going in that ring of honor. You belong in that ring of honor. I appreciate that, Adam. I, I, I would be honored to be even considered for that ring of honor. Um, I dedicated eight years eight formative years of my life to that organization, not to mention, you know, most of my childhood, well, all of my childhood and most of my adulthood up to this point to football. So that would be an honor. But uh, there's a lot of people who are um, who are vying for those spots. Right. And who are 
who should get those spots. So if I'm considered, I'd be grateful. Well, to me, you belong there. And eight years in the NFL, why? And you said you knew that the end had come, and you said that mentally you still could do it if you had to right now that you'd want to. Yeah. What told you and what forced you away from the game when you decided to leave when you did with 551 total catches, almost 7,300 yards, and 55 touchdowns? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different things at play, right? I mean, number one, my body was beat up to the point where, uh, you know, it's just like you had to start to to consider some things and, you know, to really think about, okay, what's the bigger picture here? So having that conversation with myself was challenging, right? Especially, again, playing football my entire life since I was six years old. Having to have that conversation, like, that's just <laughs> – a space i didn't want to be in i didn't i didn't and i never thought that i would ever be in that space right like as a young man you think you're invincible and that you'll always be able to do the thing that you want to do um so it was you know having that conversation with myself uh my first daughter was born or it was you know was on her way right um so recognizing that there was a bigger picture to this as well right wanting to be able to run around and lift my daughters up and play with them when they were younger and when they're toddlers and when they're younger younger kids like I still want to have that vitality, that energy, and that health to be, you know, a full dad to them. Um, that was really important to me. And then my grandfather, uh, who's the most influential person in my life, uh, you know, he was a special grandfather to me. And you know, I'm ha I have three daughters, uh, and I'm I'm realizing this now on this stage as my wife is telling them telling me that we're done having kids. I will not have a son, right? Um, but I know what, you know, having three daughters, higher probability that I may have a grandson at some point, right? I know what that relationship is like. And that's very, very important to me that I am healthy and lucid mm -hmm. and capable to be the best grandfather I can be to my grandchildren. And so, you know, looking at all of that in totality, also, right, where the team was at the time, right? There was some challenges going on with the team, um, it just felt like the best decision for me, both personally, professionally and health wise, like I needed to make that decision. Um, so, you know, I, I'm grateful for it. I still struggle with it a little bit, especially when I see these guys playing and getting ready for games. Um, but uh, I'm on the better side of it right now. Are you compromised at all physically now from the eight years in the NFL and playing football at Stanford and throughout your childhood or no? I mean, we, we've, we've got some things we're dealing with for sure. Um, you know, I, I definitely the physical ailments, like I'm still dealing with the growing issue. Still. Yeah. It's, it's not as bad as it was pre-surgery, obviously, but yeah. now there's still some movements that you can feel it in there every once in a while. Wow. Shoulders. I think shoulders are always going to be an issue. I had uh, shoulder surgery on both shoulders before I got to college and then I had one, I uh, had a uh, surgery after I retired. So I think those are always going to be an issue. Um, you know, there's several things. Knee is always going to be an issue. Uh, but I think what I'm, you know, if I'm just being honest, what I'm most concerned about right now is my, my, my brain, you know. Um, there are some uh, indications, right, uh, memory issues. Um, that I'm working on. There are some uh, exercises that I can, you know, perform to kind of get that that gravity back. But, you know, I'm 
constantly worried about that too, for all the same reasons I just mentioned, right? I want to be a mm. uh, lucid uh, father for my children and I want to be a capable grandfather for my children too. So those are things that are always on top of my mind. Have you been examined and been to the doctors and consulted with what's going on now? What have they said to you about it? Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've done that, uh, that full exit physical um, down in California and, you know, there's, I don't want to get too far into it, but yeah, there's, there's some things I'm, you know, that I guess as a young man, you sign up for, you know, that there's uh, a possibility and a, and a probability of you dealing with things when you're older. But I think, you know, you, you don't realize, uh, you don't, you don't think about it in totality when you're a young man. Right. So again, at this stage, having children, having all these thoughts and ambitions, uh, for the future, right? Like it hits you a little bit differently. Don't get me wrong, right? I don't know if I would change anything, right? Very fortunate and grateful for the experience that I did have. Um, but I think there's uh, a motivation, um, I think on a grander scale now to make the game more safe, right? So all of those components to it. Uh, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a very blessed uh, man, like I'm very grateful for the experiences and everything that I got going on. So don't take it in any negative. Yeah, way. no, no, and I, and I hear all that, but I also I sense some concern or worry when you said that you paused. Like there, there was some worry there. It seemed like that I was sensing. Am I imagining yeah. that? No, you're not imagining it. I mean, there's there are some there are some things that you know uh, that showed up in my physical. We'll say that right. Um, and then when you look around to stories um, about players after they leave the game, right, things that they've been dealing with, um, things that have happened, right? And there was a, um, a former teammate of mine, a very, uh, uh, just very challenging story, um, you know, something that he did. And, uh, you know, you think about those things. It hits you differently, right? I was I was in the locker room with this guy, like he was a good friend of mine, and then to see the news of what happened to him, what he did, like it just you know just uh, it hits you differently. You can't help but think about those things. And then again, as a father, I'm looking at my daughters every night, tucking them in bed, like I don't want to, I don't want anything to harm them, right? And I don't want to be any in any way, shape, or form anything negative towards them. You know, so it just it hits you differently. You think about it differently. Again, uh, I am very fortunate and very blessed. And I also believe like, I have a very strong faith. So um, I'm not too concerned with it, mm -hmm. but I am also human at the same time. Who is the teammate that you're referring to? I, I don't know who you're talking or, or are you at liberty to say you'd rather not? Uh, Phil Adams. You remember the story about Phil Adams? No. Uh, I'll leave it at that. You you know, your yep. viewers can check it out. You you. Yep. You can look into it, but uh, yeah, very, very tragic, very sad story. Well, I congratulate you on your Asian Hall of Fame induction that you will not get to experience firsthand. I am thrilled and honored that you did agree to take some time today to come on the podcast. You have an open invitation anytime to come on and talk to, and talk to that and talk to me about that. I appreciate that, Chef. Yeah, I... I, I've I've admired you from afar. I know, I know, I mean, look, listen, I'm gonna be real with you for a minute. I know you got this persona that you have to carry, right? It's part of the job. I get that. But I see through that and I recognize 
the work ethic that you have to have to do your job. And I recognize that and appreciate that. So um, just know that there's an, a, there's a respect over here as well. So, and appreciate you for having me on the show, man. Really do. Mutual respect. Congratulations on the Asian Hall of Fame. And we'll do this again when you're getting inducted into the Seahawks Ring of Honor. <laughs> I appreciate it, homie. And there is the great Doug Baldwin. And I told him at the beginning of the interview, I had always wanted to have him on this podcast. And I don't know whether I did or didn't reach out to him while he played, but I always knew the type of deep thinker that he was and the great player that he was and somebody that got every ounce of ability out of his own body. And that's something that he's always done. And what a great, impressive, brilliant guy. And mm. finally, we had him on. And hopefully, we'll get the chance to have him on again soon here in the future. All right, Daniel, as we record this Tuesday morning, bright and early, we are gearing up for Wednesday night. It is one of my two or three favorite nights of the year. No joke. Heck yeah. The NBA ESPN War Room Draft. We've got 14 teams in our league. And Daniel, I cannot tell you how much happiness this draft brings me. You know what it's like going into this draft? I feel like it's these are the guys I'm going to pick, and these are the guys that I'm spending the NBA season with. Now, a few of them, I'm going to cut them. I got it, and I'm going to move on. But by and large, I am giving roses on Wednesday night to about a dozen guys that I'm going to be married to for the next four or five months. And that's how I feel about it. Like I'm in, entering into this brand new relationship on Wednesday night with my love child of the NBA. And we are going to ride this journey together. I love it, Adam. I'm so pumped about it, especially being able – you already know this. We've talked about it. I'm going to grab Joker with the number one overall pick. I don't know how you find time to be able to do all of this fantasy basketball stuff in the middle of fantasy football season, which is also just regular football season for you. That's so much sports watching, Adam. You are literally the person that everyone wants to be able to be. I would love to have that kind of time in my life to be able to figure out how I can dedicate it to fantasy basketball and fantasy football. It's my great escape. You know, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't have a lot of fun in my life. I, I wish I did. Daniel, I wish I did. So my fun, you know, <laughs> when my wife is watching Bravo and reality TV and all the housewife yeah. show, I'm figuring out which NBA player I'm dropping, which one I'm claiming on waivers, who I'm starting. I just love it. It's just, honestly, it is my hobby, my vice, and I absolutely love it. All right, give me your spoiler alert then. You have the ninth overall pick. You've had yeah. to think about a bunch of different people that you could consider based on who's going to fall to you to nine. What's your head thinking? Where are you going to be at? Well, here's what, I, here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking. In no particular order, the first five picks, I believe, are going to be Jokic, Donkic, Greek, and B Tatum. And maybe, maybe Steph Curry slips in there because we've got two Ooh. Warrior fans uh, picking right in the middle round. So, yep. I think there's a chance Steph goes, and then there's a whole slew of players behind that. I'm not even going to bring up any names because I don't want anyone listening to this podcast okay. to have any idea of what I'm thinking. Yeah, yep. That's how serious this is to me, Daniel. <laughs> but we will report back in this space. Yes. The Adam Schefter podcast. That's right. Tuesday with the guys that I have given the roses to officially and who I'll be married and spending the NBA season with. All right. I want to thank the great Doug Baldwin for his time today and congratulate him on his selection to the Asian Sports Hall of Fame. That ceremony will be this Saturday. I want to thank Daniel Dopp, my colleague and friend, for helping spearhead another weekly six-pack and my great producers, Christina Buswell 
Sarah Abbott, as well as you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we will be joined by the man who launched one of the first viral tweets of all time, the former Ohio State quarterback, Cardale Jones. He has a new book coming out, and he talks about his tweet about how he went to college to play football, not to go to school. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.